Today, the topic is the servant king. The servant king is a contradiction in terminology, right? It's according to our understanding of kingship, earthly kings do not serve, but they are served by the subjects. Even in modern-day de- democracy, they still wield tremendous influence and power. But the servant king in the Bible, our Lord Jesus, who was sent by God, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And this seemingly contradictory destination fits perfectly with Jesus. He is the servant king. And John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17 has demonstrated this concept very powerfully. Now, since this is a familiar passage, I'll break it into sections as we read and relate to each point. First of all, the servant king loves his own in verses 1 to 5. The servant king loves his own. The Bible says now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, lay aside his outer garments, and taking a tower, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the tower that was wrapped around him. Jesus was demonstrating his love for his people through foot washing. You know, many of you have heard the sermon on Jesus washing the disciples' feet many times and in many settings. You have probably seen the demonstration of foot washing on stage or individuals being called to the stage to be washed. Today, I want to assure you that there will be no live demonstration of foot washing on the stage. And rest assured, guys, rest assured that you will not be asked to come up spontaneously to take up your shoes uh, to participate in foot washing in case the holes in your socks may be exposed. Well, that was a fear of some people when they were caught up. Just relax and allow God to speak to you and to me. In chapter 13, we have come to a new phase in Jesus' ministry. In the previous chapters, 1 to 12, Jesus was involved in public ministry. He was teaching, he was saving, he was healing. He would feed the 5,000 and teach them that he is the bread of life. And he will explain that he is the light of the world and then heal the blind man. But beginning in chapter 13, Jesus shifted to a private ministry. Jesus is alone with his disciples in preparation for his hour of glory when he will be crucified. And Jesus now must say farewell to his disciples and begin his return to the Father through his arrest, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So in verse 1, it says, Now therefore, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the setting is, it was a Thursday night. The night Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Jesus was eating the Passover meal with his disciples. Well, this is what we call the Last Supper. And Jesus knew that the hour of glory has come. 
It is the hour when Jesus glorifies the Father by submitting to the will of the Father when he goes to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And he loved his own, the Bible says. He loved his own because the disciples were given to him by the Father. You found it in chapter 10, verse 29, when Jesus talked about, they are my sheep, I give them eternal life, and the Father gave them to me. And he loves them to the end. Not, not to the end of the crucifixion, and then he doesn't love them anymore. He loved them to the fullest extent. That's the full meaning of it. He loved them as much as he can as a God. And it will be demonstrated by how he washed the feet of the disciples. And again in verse 3, Jesus knew that he's going back to the Father, but he also knew the Father had given all things into his hands. He knows both his origin, sent by God, his destiny, he's going to the cross and going back to the Father, and as such, understands the authority he has been given, the authority to give his life and to take it back, the authority to ascend back to the Father, the authority that he will be glorified, that all will bow before him and acknowledge his kingship. And Jesus' decision to wash the disciples' feet is anchored in his assurance of his relationship with the Father. But verse 2, sandwiched in this two knowledge, in verse 2, Jesus is aware of the cost of this love. He will be betrayed by Judas. You see, Judas' unbelief has made him an easy target for Satan. Judas sold himself to the power of evil, and he came under the devil's control. And it will be revealed as we progress in this passage here. And before the meal is being served, Jesus interrupted the ceremony to demonstrate his deep love for his followers. You know, foot washing was a common practice in Jesus' time. It was either as a religious act of cleansing or as a show of hospitality when someone entered a home. It, after all, it was the days when you know, roads were dusty and sandals were commonly worn every day. But make no mistakes, foot washing was a degrading and lowly task. It was performed by people in a lower status to those in a higher status. But Jesus did the unconventional to show his disciple what it means to love one another. He washed their feet, the disciples' feet, as a guru, as a teacher. And in verses 4 and 5, we can see how he took the actions and posture of a servant. He rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel and tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel wrapped around his waist. That's a servant king in action. He's a servant king through and through. Not for show, but with genuine humility, he serves them. And the disciples seem to accept Jesus' gesture. But most likely they were embarrassed. You know why? Because in Luke chapter 22, we were told that on that night, the disciples were engaged in a power struggle. They were debating who is the greatest. And none of them was willing to wash others' feet, lest he risk being perceived as a servant and not as a leader they aspired. That's their understanding of leadership. But Jesus went ahead and washed their feet. 
He washed Judas' feet. You know, Jesus' last expression of love did not stop him from betraying Jesus. He washed John and James' feet. They are nicknamed sons of thunder, fiery temper, but Jesus washed their feet anyway. Andrew, a model disciple, always bring people to Jesus. He washed his feet. Nathaniel, the innocent one, with a pure heart. Jesus said he has a pure heart. Jesus washed his feet. Simon the Zealot, he's a rebel. <laughs> he sees things black and white. He tends to seek justice at all costs. Kind of a guy. Jesus washed his feet. Matthew, the business savvy tax collector. Jesus washed his feet. Thomas, he has an inquisitive mind. He likes to question your answers. But Jesus washed his feet. And Philip's. We don't know much about his activities, or Jude, or Thaddeus, or James, the younger James among Jesus' disciples. Little was recorded of their actions, but Jesus washed their feet nevertheless. And then Jesus comes to you. Would you allow Jesus to wash your feet? Would you accept that? What is your response? You and I are disciples of Jesus, and he washed all the disciples' feet. If he comes to you, would you allow him to wash? I think a typical American Christian would say, Stop, thanks, but no thanks, I'll do it myself. We're raised to be independent, we're raised to be self sufficient. That's how we are most comfortable with. And Jesus is okay with that. Jesus says, I know you can do it for yourself, that's good, but how come? You can't do it for your brothers or sisters. How come you can't do it for your loved ones? How can you can't do it for vulnerable ones? How can you can't do it for others around you? That might be a good question that we as American Christians would answer today because we like to wash our own feet and not allow anybody else to touch our feet. It's very uncomfortable, right? Jesus loves his disciples by demonstrating a very humble posture of a slave to wash the feet of the disciples. But when he came to Peter, Peter rejected. The seven kings saved his own in verses 6 to 11. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. So when Jesus came to the last person or the last disciples, Peter, he was shocked to the point of objection. Lord, do you wash my feet? You see that original language, the true pronouns are placed in emphatic position. Do you wash my feet? And originally they were put together, the two pronouns. Do you my feet washed? Unthinkable, absurd. I can't accept that. 
And verse 6, when he responded with that, it shows the depth of his devotion. And that also defines the strength of his objection, that he just can't take it. But Jesus is not simply giving them a lesson in humble service. He is doing something that symbolizes his greater act of sacrifice on the cross. Jesus said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. When? When is afterward? Some commentators say, well, Jesus will explain it later. That's afterward. Others say, well, after resurrection, they will fully understand the meaning of it. Others said, well, during the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, and the Spirit will lead them to the understanding of God's Word. Well, most likely, Jesus just explained it in the same passage. But even if you understand it as after resurrection and during Pentecost, that's even the better, because it reveals to them to the fuller extent, to the fuller extent, as they progress and grow in the discipleship. They continue to walk with them. So Jesus is not simply giving uh, them a show of a humble service. By doing that, he symbolizes his greater act of sacrifice on the cross. But in verse 8, when Peter continues to object and Jesus rebuilt him mildly and said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. To the Jewish audience, that share has a special meaning because that word share is used consistently to refer to promised land that Israel was to inherit. But now this gift of God is no longer that land, the promised land. Now it is life with Jesus. For he will offer himself to the cross and to die on our behalf. Here Jesus is talking about eternal life and union with him. Foot washing is more than a symbolism of fellowship. It is the death of Jesus that brings cleansing unto eternal life. That's foot washing. So it is not the washing itself. It is who is washing you. Peter must participate in the work of Jesus. He lacks a cleansing that only Jesus can supply. Cleansing from sin and death. And as usual in verse 9, Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He responded with enthusiasm to a bigger share of Jesus with a thorough cleansing. Do as much as you can. I want more of that. That's typical, typical Peter. And Jesus told him that if you have been cleansed, you don't need further washing. The cleansing work of Jesus on the cross that the foot washing symbolizes is complete in itself, and therefore Peter doesn't need to pursue more. But what about when Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet? You can look at that in two interpretations. One, when Jesus has completed the salvation on the cross, we are washed completely. You don't need to be washed again. Once you are saved, you are forever safe and secure in the hands of God. And the feet cleansing, what is needed to to clean your feet will be your, your daily 
temptations and falling into temptations and, and, and being tainted in this sinful world. And when you come back to Jesus for forgiveness, he will cleanse you. That will be the traditional explanation of this passage. But it doesn't have to be that way because the foot cleansing is really pointing to the cross of what Jesus has done on the cross. So the ongoing foot washing is what Jesus commanded for them to do in verse 14. That you will do it as a service to one another. You will do it as a humble service unto one another. That might be closer to the original meaning of this whole passage here. Verse 10, Jesus put in these words as a reminder for us that, and you are clean, but not every one of you. And verse 11 says, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. It shows that the foot washing that Jesus gave has not changed Judas's heart. He will continue to pursue betrayal of Jesus when Satan takes over his heart in that, in, that, in that purpose. The servant king saves his own. You know, we always understand foot washing as humble service, which is part of that, which is what we can do, which is what we can carry on, and Jesus will explain in the next portion. But foot washing is really symbolizing his cleansing of our sins by offering himself on the cross to die for us. That's the focus of foot washing. So today, as we come together, if you have not received Jesus as your personal Savior, Jesus washed his feet for you too. Jesus died for you and me. That foot washing symbolizes the salvation work of Jesus on the cross for the cleansing of our sins to those who believed. So today, he invites you to receive that salvation that he has accomplished on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation with the Heavenly Father. I want you to open your hearts to him. Think about that, because he has done that for you. Why don't you open your hearts to him? And finally, the servant king teaches his own. Now, this is applying to you and me, to the disciples. Verses 12 to 17. When he had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know those things, blessed are you if you do them. Here is the teaching of Jesus after he has done that foot washing. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross demonstrated his supreme love for the world. Now he wants the disciples to exemplify that same love to one another. And his acts of sacrifice on the cross cannot be repeated. Only Jesus can do that. He's the only sinless, perfect man and perfect God who can represent us. But his model of self-giving love can become the mark of discipleship. He was not asking us to repeat the act of foot washing per se, but to express humble service to one another. You know, it would be meaningful 
if we take it literally, which some churches are, during Monday, Thursday, before Good Friday, they actually have a service and have foot washing. That's, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. But it is not mandatory. The only time that foot washing was mentioned in the Bible is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10. When it talks about the good works of a widow and what a good widow can perform, they include bringing up children, showing hospitality, caring for the afflicted, and washing the feet of the saints. That's the only time mentioned in the New Testament. Apparently, it was not something that is mandated that everybody should follow, but that spirit of selfless service, humble and loving service is what is mandated. And since servants should not be considered themselves to be greater than their masters, what is applicable to the master is likewise applicable to the servants. No wonder in verse 16 he says, Surely, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. But in verse 17 is so important in all these teachings. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Just like the Sermon of the Mount. If you really do them, you are like a house built on a rock. But if you have all these wonderful teachings, but you're not doing that, you are like someone building a house on sand, and when the storm comes, they will collapse. The blessing. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What blessings? What blessing comes from foot washing? I think when you do foot washing, when you humble yourself and serve one another, your pride and ego is in check. Your obedience to the Word of God is demonstrated. You become a servant leader. That's the true meaning of servant leadership. You break the cycle of selfishness when you learn to wash feet, when you learn to humbly serve one another. You raise the bar of Christian service not just for me and what I want and what I want to do in my way, but I'm willing to humbly serve together with you. And you let others see Jesus in your life. All these blessings come with you when you learn how to serve one another in humble spirit. So my message for you today is really by the act of foot washing. Jesus modeled for us a servant attitude that we should express to one another. He model, we express it in our lives. You know, it's easy part until now. Exposition, context, historical background, original meaning, you know. And how many times have you heard about this message, right? That's the easy part. The hard part is, what do I do now? The hard part is, who should I do foot washing, you know? Figuratively, humbly serving the other person. That, that feet step on my toes, and you want me to wash it? That feet kicked me before, and I remember that it was painful. That feet, man, not that feet, not that foot, not that group of people. And when we come to the ground and begin to practice and say, Jesus, I'll do my best to do it. That's, that's when we wrestle with all these things. Humility and 
selflessness. Tim Stafford is a good Christian writer. He reflected on foot washing of Jesus, and it was very profound. He said Jesus told his disciples that they must follow his example with each other. His point was not democracy, that everybody should do his fair share of the dirty works. His point is slavery. In the kingdom of God, you must become the slave of others, giving up status and privilege of every kind and placing others' welfare above your own. Slaves don't do their fair share of the dirty works. They do all of it. Whatever needs doing, that's slave. And he said, through foot washing, Jesus clarified what kind of community he intended to form. He did not require his followers to become martyrs, flaming out in glorious self-sacrifice. He wanted slaves. Slavery offers no hint of glory, only service. And Jesus uses that new Passover as the basis for a new community formed around his death. And through foot washing, he showed unforgettably that this community lives by service. That's why you hear your pastor always say, serve. <laughs> serve God, serve each other, serve the community. That's the mark of this community. And using other words that Jesus will expound later in verses 34, 35, that's love in action. Service is love in action. Jesus said, love each other, then others know that you are my disciples. That's service. Service is love in action. And that's why we keep asking you and reminding you that as Christians, we serve. We serve our loved ones. We serve our family. We serve people who follow us. We serve people who are different from us. And we serve each other because this is a community of slaves, as Jesus intended, the Christian community. No, we still do not enjoy washing the feet of those whom we disagree whom we dislike, whom we have issue with, right? But an example has been given and it comes from our master. Therefore, we must wash each other's feet, meaning we must serve each other. Not literally, but the example of humility and service. And I must submit to the call and remember that when I wash, I am aligning with what Jesus did when he washed my feet by going to the cross for me. As I conclude this message, I think my natural question posed before you is, who would you give a loving and humble service today? As we respond to the foot-washing example of Jesus, who would that be? You know, sometimes the hardest ones are your loved ones. Sometimes it's easier to wash strangers' feet. Sometimes it's even easier to wash the feet of the underprivileged because you feel powerful. 
the hardest, hardest one other loved ones sometimes because you know them so well. Here he comes again, here he goes again, here she comes again, here she goes again. How many times? How many, how many more washing do I need to do? I can change him. See, we wash to change that person. We wash to, hopefully, that person will be humbled. But most of you or me do not change by now. You're fast-paced, you're fast-paced. You're slow, you're slow. You're forgetful, you're forgetful. Multitasking, you're multitasking. Single-minded, you're single-mindedness. You don't wash to change. You wash to serve. And who would that person be? Let's pray together. Lord, we admit that this message is familiar, and we admit that we are familiar to the point where maybe it doesn't register as much this morning. But we do wrestle with who. We do wrestle with who should I express foot washing in humility and service. Especially for those whom you have called us to love and to care and to lead. And when they, when they don't act in a certain way, when they don't respond in a certain way, that really, really rub us in the wrong place. And to wash that is a struggle. But Lord, we come before you and knowing that you have washed the feet of Judas. You have washed the feet of Peter. You have washed the feet of Thomas who doubted you. And from that example, Lord, we humbly ask you to help us to empower us to remember that you wash our feet when we were your enemies. You wash our feet when we have denied you or even cursed you maybe. You have washed our feet. You died for us when we refuse to submit and humble ourselves to acknowledge that you are our Lord and you are our Savior. And as we stand before the cross of Jesus, Father, may we be humble enough to say, by God's grace and only by God's grace, I am ready to wash the other person's feet by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.